I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. Oh, Billy. Okay. Eyewitness News. Back to you, fuckers. Was that over the top? I can never tell. <laughs> All right. Welcome back, Analysis listeners. Well, welcome back to the show. A new five-timer, Miss Brittany Brown. Yes. Oh, super excited. All righty then, Brittany. Let's get to it. I already ruined the podcast. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Brittany, before we get into a glorious case four, the first case four we've done in a very long time, something that's been on your podcast bucket list, you are a five-timer, so now you are immortalized in cartoon figure dumb. Yes. So you are filling the hills with the sound of music. <laughs> your cartoon is an ode to Julie Andrews. How do you feel looking at yourself as a cartoon? I am obsessed with it. Um, I, uh, I like was really racking my brain. I was just like, oh my God, like, what do I, what do I like see myself as? And I don't know what it was, but I was like laying down and I was like, wait, it's the sound of music specifically when Maria has ascended the mountain. Correct. And I was just like, oh my God, nothing else could make more sense to me. So it like came to me and I was like, oh no, that's it. And so I am in love with it. You've ascended the podcast mountain of t five timerdom, and so there's the bad metaphor. I <laughs> uh, will. I'm I'm full of them already. We're 20 seconds into the podcast, and I've already done an already then and a mountain ascension joke. But I'm a fan. <laughs> yes. So so a lot of times when people get to the five timers, they try to do a cartoon with a reference to things that they like to talk about or things that they're passionate that they come on and talk about. And so we have people who have done sci-fi. So they're wearing a HAL t-shirt from 2001 Space Odyssey or, or we have people who are fans of classic movies. So there's an Aubrey Hepburn reference level. And so you, you, you've got this music passion, you've got this musicals or, or, a lot of times we you come on and talked about a lot of different things but yeah. yeah we went with julie andrews which i love but that's not why we're here today is to talk about a cartoon why we are here is to talk about a topic which you had requested when i first invited you on the show you had said i would love to do a case for jim carrey yes. and we have this giant spreadsheet full of actors, directors, actresses, writers that we are excited to break down and profile their career. Why Jim Carrey? It's so interesting to me, why Jim Carrey for you? Because I always thought Jim Carrey is for eight-year-old boys. <laughs> Butt talking, fart jokes, yeah. manic behavior, shouting as loud as you can. So I always thought it was it was boy humor. Here you are shouting from the mountaintop for Jim Carrey. Why Jim Carrey for you? For, there are so many different reasons. Um, probably the biggest one for me is that he was such an integral part of my childhood. Um, I think what I loved and what, you know, my my friends and family could attest to is that I'm a weirdo. I'm a huge weirdo in like the best sense of the word. I have like a really wacky sense of humor. So when I was a kid, um, I was very lucky that my mom, um, she didn't really necessarily censor what I watched or anything. You know, there, I, I didn't ever want to watch anything that was like overtly like violent or sexual or anything, but she was just like, she kind of let me like what I like. And I really appreciated that because it made it so that I was really able to explore a bunch of my different interests. But when I was a kid, I think the first thing I saw of Jim Carrey was, well, technically it was him in, um, in Living Color, which was yeah. like one of my mom's like favorite like sketch comedy shows. And uh, so I saw him there and I just thought he was just doing something so different that I hadn't seen that felt like it was speaking to my specific sense of humor because it was just wacky and off the wall and kind of bizarre and the way that he could move his body was just so weird and I loved it. And then I saw Dumb and Dumber, I think when I, probably at an age when I was too young, but I didn't get some of, obviously some of the things yeah. that <laughs> are themes in that film. I probably saw that when I was six and I was 
hooked and I've seen like pretty much everything in his filmography since then. And it's like, I, I thought like Jim Carrey also, I know I talked about Whoopi Goldberg the first time that I was on. So mm-hmm. like she could easily do on a case for as well. Um, but Jim Carrey, yeah, because he was just so important to my childhood, it just clicked. I was just like, Oh my God, I could talk about him for, for a while. So it just, it felt right. It felt right. Okay. I, align a lot with what you're saying. Jim Carrey is what made me want to be a performer. And he really, when you talk about being a bizarre child or being a child, he really is an actor and a, a performer for those kids that like to act out in school. Remember when we were talking about Pen15 and you're talking about Maya Ishii Peters and she's up giving, giving a class report and she's doing Ace Ventura bits because she had watched it over the summer and it was cracking her friends up and it was this bridge to her being able to express herself and her personality through some common bit that kids liked. And yeah. that was, I, I felt seen in that moment because I was like, that was me. Like I used to do, I used to prance around my classroom like sneaky Ace Ventura to make people laugh or I would do all righty then or I would do all sorts of bits and, and it would get a reaction. And, and I, it was like, oh, this feels good. And mm-hmm. it made me want to be a performer. And I think that he's so, let's talk about him as an actor and in his yeah. career from a bird's eye view, but he's so tailor-made and perfect for sketch comedy, especially in the 90s. Mm-hmm. There is no subtlety with this man at all. It is just, when you, you, you said the word bizarre, it's, it's very odd. It's oftentimes manic and yeah. large gestures, lots of physical comedy. Obviously, that's been Jim Carrey. And it was perfect for sketch comedy and In Living Color. And then comedy in the 90s was ready for him as well. Because comedy in the 90s, to me, the, the way I always phrase it is Halloween costume comedy. Where yes. the, the title characters or the main characters of comedies in the 90s, you could wear them as a Halloween costume. I'm talking Austin Powers, mm-hmm. Ace Ventura, these, these, these types of comedies that would come out all the time. And they were, they were big costumed, big concept types of characters. And then in 2000, you start to see Jim Carrey taper off in terms of his relevance because comedy got a lot softer. It got mm-hmm. a lot, you know, then, then Michael Sarah became a comedy star or Seth yeah. Rogen or The Office became popular. And those are more subtle types of, even though it's, it's funny to think of The Office as subtle comedy, as subtle, but, but compared right to Jim Carrey, it's very subtle, right? Yeah. And so it's kind of interesting to watch Jim Carrey because in the 90s, he was the biggest movie star in Hollywood for about nine years. And that's a huge run, especially for me and you in our 30s. Those are taste-defining years for us. Like, we are defining our taste in comedies, and he's the biggest name in town. So he is this really important guy for this window. And to, to think about Jim Carrey is also, he's the perfect example of what comedy was and what it is not now. And, you, and that's why he doesn't really work and he's no longer relevant. And the things he does is basically a throwback to the 90s, like Sonic the Hedgehog and shit like that. It's, it's a 90s throwback. Yeah, yeah and I think, uh, he's, I think a new Ace Ventura is, is coming. Oh, of course, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but, but there's no audience for it anymore. Right, right? well, it's so interesting too because he's also someone who had, who had said, I think pretty early on in his career that he didn't, after like Ace Ventura, like he, he was I'm like, not I'm not doing really, sequels. Yeah, I'm not really interested in doing, in doing sequels because I think he, he felt like a lot of the things that he did and I think it's a little bit, you know, uh, prophetic in the, in the way that he thought he's like the, the things that he did at the time exist in their, in their own pocket of time. And I think that he really, he must've known something that like we weren't going to know, like as kids where it's just like, this stuff doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't always hold up in the same way. And so I think he was just, I think that was part of why he was like, yeah, I just don't think that I'm going to do sequels. But then, I mean, we look at, you know, when he did like Dumb and Dumber 2 and he's doing the second Sonic. And I, yeah, I just read today about there being an untitled Ace Ventura project. And I was like, you're, you really hit the nail on the head. Cause it's like, uh, 
some of it's not it's not quite like when he was in his heyday in like the the 90s very early 2000s it's like comedy's not like that anymore and and not in in a way that's that's necessarily bad i think that that just exists kind of yeah. in a in a vacuum of that time well the reason if you gave him true serum the reason why he's doing the ace ventura 3 movie is because that's the only thing that he really can do now and i think the interesting part with jim carrey is his either disinterest in evolving as an actor or his inability whether that's hollywood casting or his own skills like his inability to truly evolve his skills like right now the things he's doing are still basically tastes of the 90s stuff that he did and the audience expectation of him is to still do jim carrey stuff right and i think it's 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 interesting because you look at something like dumb and dumber is a great example where he's sitting there next to jeff daniels Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about Dumb and Dumber later when we get in the structure. But like Jeff Daniels as a performer has evolved. Jeff Daniels was on Newsroom. Jeff Daniels has won yeah. Emmys. Jeff Daniels was Atticus Finch in a Broadway yeah. major production of To Kill a Mockingbird. Like this man, he's in Noah Baumbach movies. I can go on and on, but like he's really, he, he's not just that. But Jim Carrey, outside of a couple of examples, is still just kind of that. Like he's still just doing manic stuff and it just doesn't fit with the comedic tastes of present day. Yeah. And I think what's interesting about that is you're, you're completely right. Like Jeff Daniels is, has kind of uh, gotten this space in order to like continually evolve his career. And, you know, there are a couple examples obviously of Jim Carrey having done that too. And, you know, a, a few of them have been, you know, pretty heavily lauded for it being something completely different than he's ever done. But I think because there have been times where he's tried to step outside of his quote unquote comfort zone or tried to do something different and then has been met with, uh, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. I do find, I do find that also very interesting because I feel like that's the audience expectation of him, right? Yes, it's like, exactly. we don't want you to do this. Yeah. It's like, we don't, we don't want, and I, and I will say that there most of the times when he's ventured into, you know, something more dramatic or even, you know, serial comic, I've, I've quite enjoyed it, mm-hmm. but I also um, find that a lot more often than not, and this was not necessarily something that I realized until I did some research into it, um, was that I, I think I can sometimes be in the minority of people who, who appreciated some of those different yeah. turns, as opposed to a lot of people who are just like, where's the physical comedy? Why, where's the slapstick? That's what we watch you for. And I do wonder what kind of a toll that that also takes on an actor trying to evolve and maybe feeling either stifled, but then also maybe not picking the best projects to highlight him doing so. I think it's a mixture of all that stuff. Obviously, like where a career goes is very nuanced and complicated. And I I think that's set up perfectly for our structure here. So when we do a case for, we profile the career through picking our two most favorite Jim Carrey movies, our least favorite Jim Carrey movie. So we'll talk about mm-hmm. every rose have a, as a thorn, every career has a, a turd of a movie. So we'll talk about what our least favorite is. And then we like to give shout outs and, and just a little bit of time to some of the ones that didn't quite make our list, but we still need to just passionately talk about for a few seconds. So yes. with that, Jim Carrey's career, if I had to summarize him with a few words, I would say manic. Yeah. Huge characters in all capital letters, huge, just massive characters, no subtlety at all. Very little realism in most of his projects. And a lot of times the vehicles that he was in, the movies that he was in, seemed to try to be tailoring to his specific skill set, thus magical scenarios. So he's in Liar Liar, where he the the wish he obviously can't tell a lie, and he's this lawyer. Brilliant premise for a comedy movie, by the way. A lawyer that can't lie. Great, yep. <laughs> great fodder for lines and physical humor there. Uh, Bruce Almighty, he's God all of a sudden. Uh, Truman Show, even that's kind of a magical fantasy type scenario. Me, myself, and Irene, 
eternal sunshine like we can go down the list but a lot of different fantastical or magical settings that create hijinks and chaos for him to thrive in the mask i mean shit that's that's probably yeah. the best example Come right on. so lots of those and and i really think it's the the epitome of a star driven era where movies were made around a movie star skill sets versus now it seems to be kind of the other way around where it's 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 plot first and then People are going there for the concept and less for the movie star. But with that said, let's get into some of his stats. We like to do stats really quick here. So looking at Rotten Tomatoes, he, what do you think his highest rated movie is on Rotten Tomatoes? It's a 95% critic score. I feel like I'd have to say Eternal Sunshine. 92 for Eternal Sunshine. Oh. Truman Show, 95. You know what? That feels right. Truman Show. What do you think his least popular <laughs> movie is by the critics? 8%. I'll give you a hint. 2007. Oh. 2007. I feel like that should be a bigger clue. I think I have to, I might be going with something. It could be something that I, one of the few things I haven't seen, but I have to go number 23. The number 23 is his lowest yes. score. There you as, go. As it should be. Once Bitten is 10%, but that doesn't necessarily count. It's an 85. Ace Ventura 2, When Nature Calls, uh, very low here at 25%. So his highest grossing films, number one was actually Bruce Almighty at $485 million. Wow. So, I mean, that's 2003 money. That's actually really impressive. The Mask wow. at $352 million in 1994. Right. Wow. That's 352. Huge. Actually, let's talk about his 94 before we get into our structure here. It's, it, it, it's 90, <laughs> find me a better 90, find me a better year in a career than yes. 1994 for Jim Carrey. Still on In Living Color. So yep. still on one of the top rated comedy shows in America. Leads off with Ace Ventura, then follows that up with The Mask and bringing it home, probably the best of the three, Dumb and Dumber all within the same 12-month calendar year. Man just took over for a whole fucking year. Just crazy. It's just, it's absolutely insane to think, oh my God, to think that all of that happened so closely together. And I know that there was like a time, I think, when he was on Oprah or something where he talked about having manifested his career because he wrote himself a check for a million dollars. And it just makes me think of that where it's just like, holy shit like that's incredible to have like boom 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 back to back hits dumb and dumber made 247 right and the mask made 352 million that's just crazy and to think that you had the lead-in of successful film after successful film for your next successful film yeah that's just uh it's it's really crazy but anyway 94 was was pretty wild so just a little bit of statistics there for jim carrey so let's get to it. This has been all wretch, no vomit. Let's party with our structure. <laughs> let's vomit out our favorites here. Oh so let's do best, one worst, and then some call outs. What is your favorite Jim Carrey movie? You know, I was I was gonna lead this by saying it, maybe it's cliche, but fuck it, I don't I don't think so. It's a it's a really great film in my opinion, um, and I think in a lot of people's opinions, it's Eternal Sunshine. Eternal Sunshine. Um, yeah, that's it's one of my absolute favorites. I mean, aside from the fact that I'm also a really big Charlie Kaufman fan. Charlie Kaufman, yeah. Yeah, um, but it's just it was an example of because he had had you know, like Cable Guy and Truman Show and The Majestic before that, where he kind of tried to veer into some different, you know, more serial comic territory and then drama territory. But I think Eternal Sunshine for me was one of the first ones that really hit when he tried to do something very out of his comfort zone. I think the biggest thing, because we talked about one of his big things is how, um, how big of swings he takes with the kind of like the broad comedy that he does. And what I love is that he makes himself so small in this film. Um, There's just, there's no overperforming. There's no, there's no slapstick. It's not to say that you don't, I mean, I chuckle a couple of times. There are obviously some comedic elements in this film. Yeah, he plays um, like a six-year-old version of himself. Yes. But he's obviously still Jim Carrey. It, it works, yeah. Yeah, it, it works for him, but he just plays like this incredibly depressive, 
you know, and I say like sad sack, but like in a way that it's just like you, it would be so easy, I think, for this character to be really annoying and overwrought. And for me, it's not at all because he endears him so beautifully with how he leans into the quiet stillness that his role kind of requires because you've already got Kate Winslet who's playing a character that's kind of ratcheted it up to like a, a 10 in the sense that like she's playing like a hyper version of a manic pixie dream girl so it's like we don't need two actors you know kind of at the top of their levels in this film I think I had read somewhere that it was a difficult um, shoot for him mm. um, to do a, a to do a film like this and I think that there was like one part where it was just like when he was shooting he had to be like constantly reminded like this is a drama whereas Kate had to be reminded this is Have a, some fun a comedy. Yeah. yeah yeah like this so I think I don't I there's something I find so incredibly intriguing about I don't know feeling insecure to a certain extent in a project because I think that that opens you up to a really beautiful kind of vulnerability that I see in this film from him there are like obviously like you you said the you know when he's uh, playing the the six-year-old version of himself when he's like underneath the table and the mom is like mm -hmm. a giant in comparison like the surreal elements of this I think could have easily if he, if he hadn't leaned into them this it could have read really strange and and like those elements that we know charlie kaufman you know now especially to be you know kind of famous for in his work but it was just it was when we talked earlier about how his version of comedy isn't subtle i think that this is one of the the few examples where he indeed was and his strength definitely laid in the silent moments of this film for him in my opinion i mean i think he you absolutely crushed that analysis. Well, <laughs> well done. I'll try to add a little bit to it. Yeah. One joke I always have when it comes to Eternal Sunshine is that there's always the person, anytime Jim Carrey comes up at just like a, a cocktail party or, or whatever, and someone tries to come in and, and be, so, so you labeled it as saying, oh, this is cliche and I know it's cliche, but like I've, I've got to go Eternal Sunshine. Not everybody believes that. Everyone always thinks oh. that they've got this like little back pocket. Hot take? Yeah, just like hot take actually. I know you guys are gonna talk about Ace Ventura, but actually Eternal Sunshine is like, no, everybody thinks that. Like everybody right. thinks Jim Carrey's best movie is Eternal Sunshine, because it probably is. I think it's, there's not a lot of times, because I, I was thinking about the two movies that I was gonna pick and I wanted to pick one serial comic, like you said, one yes. kind of drama, drama um, and then I wanted to pick one just OG. And, and so I had a feeling you'd go this way. So I went a different way with my serial comic. But I, I thought this movie is just so well for him because there's not a lot of emotional stakes in some of the other movies that he has. No. And this one is the one where the emotional stakes are very present and you're the truest amount of invested in those moments there, there's some other times where, where he tries and, and then obviously like number 23 is just kind of embarrassing uh sadly embarrassing just the, the, the effort that went in and, and it just doesn't work but I think this one you know fits him and I think that it allows him to exist in this fantasy it really asks different things of him and and I think it is nice when when actors do a departure and I think this was the moment where everyone thought okay Jim Carrey is going to take a turn and he's going to kind of leave that that stuff that about him that's polarizing he's going to leave that in the past and he's actually going to try to do some real work here and and I guess that's that's why it's so surprising to me that he still hasn't evolved past this he's still doing sonic the hedgehog to me or burt wonderstone or these fucking stupid movies it's like yeah. you don't need it right and and the audience was kind of there for it we were we were excited for this next phase but i i do think all the things you said i think he fits really well into this movie i think the on-string chemistry with him and kate winslet works very well mm -hmm. you're actually a, a lot of times with jim carrey you you do pull for him romantically whether it's Bruce yeah. Almighty and him and Jen Anderson and Aniston or, or even weird movies like Yes Man with him and Zoe, Zoe Deschanel. Deschanel. Like you, you, you do kind of like want Jim Carrey to hook up, which is 
maybe yeah. something we can ponder on or, or for a second. We, but we absolutely can. I also just think the movie's really cool. You have Mark Ruffalo, like early Ruffalo. You have Tom Wilkinson just crushing it. You, yeah. I actually think it's some of Kirsten Dunst's best mm-hmm. work. And I like Elijah Wood a lot in it too. Very weird and very yep. Elijah Wood, but yeah, yes. I think yes. There's You're a right. lot, there's just like the movie is really well cast. Obviously, it's Charlie Kaufman. It's probably my favorite Charlie Kaufman movie. So just the movie overall is rad too, right? Yeah, I that that's the thing is that there's so many that it it really feels kind of like lightning in a bottle in terms of like how stacked the cast is and how well they grasp the material I think mm-hmm. I know that that probably feels like a weird thing to say about like professional actors but I mean I think we can agree that that does not always happen in a film especially something that's as hyper stylized as this film can be and so it feels like those moments are so well handled and it just really adds to the the beauty of the film but I think also you're you're totally right um, in in the sense that in almost every Jim Carrey movie that I've ever seen, I do I do root for him as the you know most of the time as the protagonist to you know get the girl in the end because he's he's goofy and he's silly and he's not like quote unquote typical leading man, but like that's what I love about him. And I think that what this film does really well is that it I think it because it grounds him and humanizes him so well. I think that it winds up becoming a really relatable character. Like I'm thinking like there's just such clarity in like the emotions, like whenever he realizes that she's had him removed from her memory, like literally cut out of there, you see not just one emotion, but like three, like you see all of them. Like there's you're you're, he's obviously shocked and surprised, but then how hurt because you can see him asking himself like, how could a how could a person do that? Like, how does mm-hmm. how does that work? How does that happen? And like, how confusing that is for him to kind of work through. And so, when he's like coming to terms with the reality of that situation, it's really in, entrancing to watch. And there's like a, a a moment when they're trying to run from yeah the them and you know when they're in his apartment trying to erase his memory and he's trying to like hold on to her for dear life and he has the i cannot remember anything without you which i think could have easily been done for a for a laugh it could have been played to like a like a a broader like comedic moment but i think that like it's so incredibly sad and like coming from him because that's not something that you expect it somehow hits harder than if it would have been like another actor that we know for doing, you know, drama really well. Like it wouldn't have hit the same, but it's just, I mean, this movie makes you so sad, but then it also, because you're still kind of rooting for it, even though these are two incredibly toxic people. They are not meant to be They're not actually good for each other. (laughs) No, they're not good for each other. They're not meant to be together. But the fact that they... It, 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 I mean, it is the way that they play it where you're just like, at the end, you're just like, let's give it one more go. Even yeah. though you know it's going to end in a dumpster fire. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. At least for me, I'm sitting here like, yeah, give it, give, let's give it another chance. Let's see if it changes, uh, even though that's the exact definition of insanity. Yeah. Is expecting anything to change, but that's what I think is so beautiful about his performance in that film, especially. It really is required reading for anybody going through a adult breakup, right? And it's just like yep. you, you just get your little your your little breakup kit of like this, the uh you could maybe do the breakup with Jennifer Aniston and Vince Vaughn. You could do it Annie Hall or so just you just get like your little breakup movies and, and but like this one is number one with a bullet. And mm-hmm. I, I yeah, I, I I totally agree. I, I think it's 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 really creative in the way that it approaches relationships and all of its complexities. And I I just think it's, it's, it's really well executed. I have to agree. Absolutely. Just swing it over to, to mine. I, like we said, we'll, we'll we'll keep it with the, the, the serial comic or the, the dramedy, however you want to say it semantically, but I had Truman show on mine, which is also a critics top choice. Uh, as well. So I, I really think this movie is also perfect for him. It kind of takes 
his natural instincts and adds it into this hyper television setting and allows him to play off of the just setting of the movie really well. And an- another one where we talk about the emotional stakes actually paying off for the character. I do think when he's out there on the water and his boat's getting toppled and he's the, you know, come on, you want to kill me, go ahead and kill me. And he's come to the realization of, of what his reality is. And when he crashes into the wall and if, if I don't see a good afternoon, good evening and good night, like that whole piece is, I, I, I think the way that I felt watching that movie means that the emotional stakes worked for me because I did feel triumph in that moment. I also think this movie always lingers in the back of my mind. Like there's some little seed that was planted and I don't know whether this makes me a narcissist or not, but every now and again, or at least when I was a kid, I was like, where are the cameras? Everyone's probably watching me. (laughs) But just the concept of the movie of, of you don't know it, but you're actually the biggest star in the world. That, that definitely was something that, Kind of, I don't. Did, did that ever happen to you? Let me. Just, yeah, but please, I please let me feel seen. Yes. No. You, absolutely. I did think that, and I think for, you know, at least for me at the time, it was because that using that as like the main frame of a plot, it, it felt incredibly revolutionary to me. Um, because I think when the film came out, I think I was seven, maybe yeah. eight, and so um, I think that the thought of that is like it's kind of that thing of thinking that you live in a simulation, which so many people like kind of subscribe to, you know, that, that kind of um, conspiracy theory. And it's like, no, it, I feel, I it's feel an actual, that. Yeah. it's an actual condition where I think there's like Peter Pan itis and there's like Truman show itis where like people there, there are, I, I don't think there's a lot of cases, but there are, there's an itis where people believe that they're actually being filmed by people all the time in, in a paranoid setting. Yeah, no, I, I totally 1000% agree with that and also with that choice in film that feels that feels very right i'm gonna walk this out here just because it's it's interesting to me so first of all both of our two favorites are stuff that were departures for him his two Mm -hmm. biggest departures you could say i would say despite the fact that the majority of his career he has been the person that puts the movie on his back his best movies are ensemble based where he has strong scene partners and it's more of a shared effort. Eternal Sunshine is, is an ensemble movie. It is not mm-hmm. a Jim Carrey movie. No. Like he's, he's in it and he's great, but that's an ensemble project. This, you've got Laura Linney, you've got, you've, well, there's not like a lot of star power in it, but like it's, it's the, the movie is more about the concept necessarily than like what Jim Carrey is going to do in this movie. Dumb yeah. and Dumber, he has someone to play off of, right? He's, yes. got, a, it, he's got a number two, or he, it's the, the two of them working together to create this comedy, right? These are, these are ensembles versus something like Liar Liar, where it's get on my back and, and we're, and, and we're, we're going. We're taking so. a ride. So I, I think, strangely, the stuff that we like the most is the stuff he did the least. Yeah, no, I absolutely. And I love that you framed it like that because I... Uh, I was just going to say that, like, this, I think this was the first film I saw Laura Linney in, so. Yeah, um, she's awesome in it. Yeah, she's absolutely amazing. Um, like, the the scene where where she's, like, a she panicked actor. She gives and, it up, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a master class, so I love that you brought that up, because it really is, like, he, he's a part of the machine that makes it successful, but yeah, he's not strapping anybody to his back and like trying to carry this thing to the finish line alone. Which is which is what a lot of his career was, though. Like, if especially you especially early, you know, me, myself, and Irene, or Bruce Almighty, or I mean, there's, there's ensembles in that, but it's really for Jim Carrey, right? Yes. Cable Guy, like no one's there for Matthew Broderick, right? We're we're all <laughs> yeah, so it's just like yes, man. I I can go down the line of just it's it's just like you're there, you're going to see the Jim Carrey movie. And it really is an example of in the 90s, everything was so star driven where you were going to see a Jim Carrey movie or you were going to see a Will Smith movie. And it really didn't necessarily matter what the plot or the the, the setting was happening. You were going for the star and they were going to make stuff particularly for the star. But the stuff we ended up liking the most was was the ensembles. Interesting thing. It's very interesting. And I think that what, especially with Truman Show, that I think is a a great example of that is that 
because he's usually like you said you you used manic to describe his it, some There's of no his manic. styling yeah like he is prone to eccentricity in this film but it's all reactionary to the people yes. around him yes the, the setting is crazy he is grounded and yes. you don't see that a lot with Jim Carrey. He doesn't fade into characters naturally. Like a no. lot of times it's this, it's, it's dialing it up to 11, chewing the scenery, hamming everything. It, he even makes fun of it in the credits of Liar Liar. He's like, they're on to me, right? Because she calls yeah. him an overactor in the outtake. Yes. <laughs> and it's just, cause he's very like self-aware, but it's yeah. just, yeah, it's, it's actually like less is more. And I think that's a great example. I think any, any acting coach would, <laughs> would say. Yeah, well, because I really, I know we talked about, you know, very briefly, that's the scene that he does with Laura, where it's, she's just like, what what am I supposed to do here? Like, I, I, there's that, but like, I also like to think of the scene where he's clocked the, the background, like the bike and the car, and it's on a loop, and he's trying to, to show her that there's a time yeah. to meet with all of these people, and he's like waiting for the dented beetle. He's like, "There's the dented beetle." Like it's yeah. like you see like some of his comedic styling, but he's been able to turn it down because it's all in reaction to what's happening around him, mm-hmm. and that is such. That's what makes like this this film also so special because it's not comedy for comedy's sake. It's, it's not exhausting. Over. Yes, the mask is exhausting. When you watch that, you're like, okay, good lord! Like the fact that I, I mean, it's it's seriously made for a nine year old, which is when I saw it, right? It was perfect for that. But if, if you watch it today, you're that's why a lot of these also don't hold up. Like a lot of these movies where he's going full Jim Carrey don't stand the test of time because they're they're really tiresome to watch. And once you've seen the bit once, you're like, I, I can't watch this. Yeah. Again. And but, it's like you can enjoy it. You you know, obviously, yeah, like there's a nostalgia like, thing about it. Absolutely, I think that that's why a lot of when I revisit his films, anyway, why, like, why I can rewatch them is partly for the nostalgia factor. It's tethered to mm-hmm. a time in my childhood when, like, that kind of defined my humor, as we've discussed. It also, you know, I. I, yeah, I just felt like so incredibly connected to it. So I think that that does kind of play in why some of his older stuff still gets, you know, talked about the most when it comes to discussing and unpacking his career. Absolutely. So let's swing it back to you. Number two, movie number yeah. two, second favorite. So Not on the board out there. It is. So, th- so this was hard because I was trying to delineate what my favorites were in terms of like what I feel like are his best movies that I also love a lot versus maybe something that heavily impacted my childhood, which I'm not saying that that's not incredibly important. It is, mm-hmm. but I was really trying to be a little bit more objective in what I, what I chose as my two best. Um, and so I think for uh, the comic swing, I have to go liar, liar. Um, oh, nice. Yes. I was hoping um, to talk about this movie. Yes. So I, like you said, the premise alone, it, it, I mean, it might feel simple, but it's incredibly effective. Um, I think for me, it is him at his comic best where yes, there are times when he's yelling. There are times when he's off the wall, but I think because it's framed within a plot that's like so absurd when the rest of the film is grounded in reality it's not you know it's it's that's the only part of like magical realism to this thing is the fact that this (laughs) curse worked or Mm -hmm. this wish worked and i think that because of that a lot of his big comic swings really work for the film i mean people talk about the royal blue pen scene like pen pen is blue um or but one of my favorites is uh when he's beating himself up in the bathroom he's like i'm kicking my own ass do you mind (laughs) (laughs) he comes Uh, back in he has to give the description of the guy that beat his ass so he just describes himself himself. (laughs) and it's um and for me all of those really work um to like what i consider like the best of his like comedic abilities that is truly to me when he is at his best i will also throw this in there it's probably one of the films i am most attracted to him in okay um, Peak jim a, carrey's sexualness yeah like i will say I, <laughs> we you briefly touched on the mask i will say that was probably the first film i saw him in where i was like oh he's like he's an attractive man 
forget the fact that this is coming from a, a child. You don't like, you're not yeah, able yeah, yeah. to like mm -hmm. really try and formulate what that means. But when I like, I have rewatched Liar Liar a bunch of times and I'm like, oh, he's a he's a good looking man. Yeah. Um, but I think that there are just, it's such, for me sometimes best films also for me mean like most quotable. Yeah. And, and this is high, high up there him yelling into the phone, stop breaking the law, asshole. No. I will randomly pull that out, even if it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with like what's happening in a given moment. And I will just like, I will scream it when I have road rage. Like I, no. it's just so good. And that's what so much of this film is. It's obviously really heavily tied to the nostalgia factor that we've spoken of because I think I was six when this movie came out. And um, I just have so many good memories around it. But I think this is just him at his best because I think he's right at the line of it being over the top, but it doesn't quite go over for me. And therefore, I really appreciate the comedic elements in it. Carrie Yule's, however you say his name. I Elvis, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Elvis. That is also hilarious that he's like- the claw. yeah. yeah. It is just everyone wishes they had a dad that did the claw bit. That was such a yours. I was just about to say, like, that was the thing of like, I wanted or to have like something like that with your dad, just like you just wanted to have like that kind of moment. Because the thing is, is that I love that at the core of it, it's that he's realizing what an absentee father he's been. So yeah. when he has that dramatic moment and i hold myself in contempt why yes. should you be any different exactly and he's like i'm a bad father yeah and then he, he can that's the I'm truth a though. bad father and like he has that realization and that's one of those moments where it's like i love a comedic performance that is also grounded in like a hard truth that the protagonist has to come to terms with because he can't he in the film he just like can't fathom First off, why his kid would make a wish like this, the fact that it came true, and he spends so much of it trying to undo it so that he could do his job, which in and of itself is like, yikes, man. Mm -hmm. Also, sidebar, Jennifer Tilly, absolutely hysterical in this Sidebar, film. no pun intended. Yes, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but, it, it, but then he, to have that moment where he realizes that he has not been a good father to his son and that ultimately that is what is most important to him and him like running after them uh, on the runway yeah, which is a delicious scene um there's the shoe yeah yeah the, the the payoff of the i mean it's just it's a truly fabulous film from beginning to end and it's one that in my opinion having rewatched it um last year still holds up yeah, it's it's it, it does hold up a little. It it holds yeah. up more than some of the other ones, absolutely. Definitely more than some of the others. This comes off of so he does that run in '94 that we talked about at the top. Then he does Batman Forever, which is hit and miss, mostly miss. Then he does Cable Guy, which is a huge miss, but a very underappreciated movie. I like teaser it. for shout outs, right? But then he does yes. he gets back to just what works here, and he gets back into his wheelhouse. And this is mm -hmm. very. 90s comedy is like overworked workaholic dad yeah the the son or the the child and the mother are basically they're not even real characters they're basically no. just avatars for consciousness of the they exist of, of the, yeah they exist just yeah. for the guy to have a realization later yes. and but it really is it, it, the the premise is so great. Like whoever came up with the premise, this person can't lie. Like what's a what's what's a job? What's a profession where they lie all the time? And then they they give them a lawyer who has this big case. It just it sets up so perfectly for all this physical chaos to happen, which is is great, right? The 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 the, the physical work he's doing with the pen, and he's got to put a, yep. put his knee down so he can write it. He's trying to force it with his other hand, and then you know you cut to all over his face, written blue. Just just really really. It's, it's good really stuff. good. That's one of the things also that I think is so impressive about him in his physical comedy is the things that he can make his body and his face do is yeah. a absolutely in insane. I, I mean, I quickly, just real quick, remember whenever I was reading something about how like they saved so much money on the mask because he could do so much of yeah. what he was doing with his body and his face on his own without them having to touch it up 
via computer. And so I just think, yeah, this is a, a great example of him being able to incorporate, but not overuse how well he's able to use his body in physical comedy. Absolutely. I think it also has some sentiment that's required. Yes. He, the, 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 the turn that he has to take, I think is, is good. I remember when he actually wins the court case with the prenuptial agreement. agreement. Prenuptial. Wow. He's doing the dance and then he yep. does the whole Jordan fades back. And I remember being in the theater and people erupting at the the conclusion that he actually is able to pull off the court case without without lying. <laughs> it was like I, I I just remember the the like raucous atmosphere of just being in that movie as a kid, and and that gets you addicted. You're like I want to make people feel like the 300 people that are sitting around me like that that makes me want to 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 do comedy right and so i i, I do i do think this is a, a really nice example of all of his skills working especially leaning into 90s comedy you mentioned something that i think is so important which is that feeling that feeling of like the the audience like erupting with like they're they're so excited a moment where i felt like oh God, I, I want to be at a level where I can do that, is actually in the credits when they're showing all of these bloopers. And I'm thinking of like, man, to think that like, you are so beloved and so good at what you do, that they just let you keep rolling and fucking yeah. up takes and doing whatever the fuck you want. And because they know that at the end, they're going to show it and people are going to sit there through the credits, or at least I did, yeah, watching did. every single one of them because... God, I laugh. I laugh hard during those bloopers because they're just ridiculous. I mean, your boobs are huge. I mean, I want to bounce them up and down like Sugar Ray Leonard. Like the, yeah. like all the different stuff that he does. And, yeah. and that's where they get the, the overactor bit and, and everything. But yeah, you're right. Like it, it, it's like you're watching this improvisational thing, maybe taken a little too far to the extreme when he gets yeah. on the set of Man in the Moon. But it's, <laughs> it's uh, yeah, I, I think it, it does show the yeah. just the, the charm and, and you always heard actors talk about what it was like to be in a Jim Carrey movie I mean, the guy is just relentless and, yeah. and takes it very seriously the comedy absolutely so, so my what second one going go, keeping <laughs> keeping on the task of of an OG I was really tossed up between Ace Ventura and Dumb and Dumber I'm going to go with I just think what what the overall funnier movie is which is Dumb and Dumber you are correct I, Yay! You had Dumber and Dumber. You wanted to do that too. No, no. I just I agree. Like between between those two, I was hoping you were going to say Dumber and Dumber because oh, okay. I was like I couldn't pick it, but I was like I hope I hope he does. So Dumb and Dumber to me, it gives him a scene partner to bounce off of, and mm -hmm. Ace Ventura was basically a solo performance. I think The Mask obviously was solo performance, even though it's a young Cameron Diaz, the first Cameron Diaz, and yes, and speaking of looking attractive and still looking mm -hmm. attractive right yes. and but this one like he has a scene partner and the whole movie it doesn't have to be him and it does it, he's doing Jim Carrey stuff but it feels more grounded some of the things that we were talking about were about liar liar where we we appreciated the fact that it was a little more grounded but you could still get to see all of the, the Jim Carrey stuff that you love. I, I think that's on display here. You talking about quotable lines. This is easily one of my most quoted movies in my life. I, I come up with <laughs> beer gulps, huh? Like, I, yeah. like, well, see you later. I say that. I say, well, see you later once a week. Love that. But then, then you've got more nuanced stuff. And uh, I, I was just talking about the IO, IOU scene recently. Oh. You still see people dressed up in orange and powder blue tuxedos. I just think yes. just culturally when that came along, I, I just think it has its a, a very special place. Incredibly quotable, lots of fun, a scene partner. He's a little grounded. I, over, what, what more can you ask for? It, it really is a comedy classic. It, it really is. I think you, I completely agree. It's so quotable. One of my favorite, like underrated lines is pull over. It's a cardigan, but thanks for noticing. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> like, that's, that's one of, I, that's another one where I'll just randomly say it and it has absolutely no bearing on anything that's happening around me, yeah. but it's, it's incredibly quotable. I think what makes the film for me, also, falling off. Yeah. You know, like I said, that whole monologue, I have committed to memory and my old roommate and I 
uh, uh, from college would just say it to each other like we just quoted in tandem but i think it's because the comedy in it really works because these two guys who are complete and utter idiots it works because they're not in on the joke they don't realize they're stupid and i think that it could have so easily gone off the rails if the actors had been in on the joke of like and I think that that's a very basic thing that you could say of acting in general, where it's like with comedy, if you're in on the joke, it's not funny. Yeah. Um, and so I think that that's why this works so well, because neither one of them have any clue. Like, it's, it's so small, but like, Samsonite. Uh, I was way off. I was way off. Anytime you're off on anything, you, you drop the Samsonite, Samsonite in there and everyone knows where you're at. Yeah, so I completely agree. This is, it's comic gold. And I, I think a lot of people would maybe say that like, this is like some of like the most like low brow of his stuff. But I would actually say there are so many underrated moments in that film where the comedy is like, it's it's really great because the when you're older, there's more that you discover about it. I mean, aside from like sexual innuendos and double mm-hmm. entendres, there, there are things that you continually like, fuck i forgot that was in here and that is so niche funny or like the improv of him being like what's the most annoying sound in the world and watching Mm -hmm. that they kept and cut the take right as jeff is breaking Mm -hmm. because he wasn't expecting that moment i mean it's just it's it's top notch yeah yeah so we're talking top notch Mm -hmm. let's talk low notch okay every rose has a thorn every career has a mess. What's your least favorite Jim Carrey movie? This was really hard because my initial thought was to go with number 23. And and because it's it's a truly awful film. Mm-hmm. It's bad. It's embarrassing. He, it's sad. Yeah, it's, he's not good in it. Because he's trying, but he's, he's trying hard. And it's if someone awkward. walks out and it's bad and it sucks. It's just like, all right, no one cared here. But like, he actually thought this was going to be good. Yeah. But I, th- I actually think I wound up going with Dumb and Dumber 2. I did too. Oh, okay. I did as well. Yes. I can, so, I can pivot if you would rather talk no, about it. No, let's just do it together. Too. Yeah, it's... Go ahead. I want, I want your opinion. Well, it's just... um, And, and, this, and this kind of is antithesis to what I said about trying to be <laughs> like objective and not biased about like picking like my favorites from childhood but i will say i am kind of influenced with how much i love dumb and dumber that really matched with how excited i was that there was a sequel to this coming even though in the recesses of my mind i kind of thought there's no way it could be as good but i just didn't realize it could be as bad as it was i will tell you right now bob i did not laugh out loud one time in this film and that's what was can you remember any bit it's not too far ago that the movie came out but can you remember any particular moment from that movie at all what was the plot like what was a funny there's nothing like it is completely been it's like tommy lee jones and will smith showed up and erased my memory yeah yeah i can't remember a single thing yeah i i was like what what happened in this it was such a Hollywood desperation, Cash money grab. grab, which is why I'm surprised that anyone would be excited about an Ace Ventura three because it's it's going to be more of the same. And like, yes. what more of the what more of that character's journey do we need to see? And this was it was so uninspired, and it's it was so frustrating because I I, I went in with with a hopeful mind, and mm-hmm. I was like, okay, Jeff Daniels at that point he had already won his Emmy, and he was really cooking and i was like okay he he doesn't normally just do trash no but clearly he needed some money to fund his purple rose theater in in michigan and expense a few more productions because i was just like this is this is poor and there's no way that either of these men were excited about this material and 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 thought that the end product was going to be quality and I, i just the fairly brothers like all of that had you you just it it was a movie that was we talk a lot and and we talk poetically about movies that are before their time. Like maybe something like cable guy is before it's time. This movie is past it's time. This movie's like 10 years late. It's expired. It's totally expired. And I just, it very frustrating. And so number 23 was an effort that just failed. This was just, 
this was for all the wrong reasons right like this got because that's the thing is that i i the i love that you brought up like that it i mean it is a cash grab and you know maybe maybe jeff was like need a little extra money but i i get really sad thinking about the fact that i think that maybe they both thought it was good and that <laughs> that's the worst case scenario if they were like the nailed it again yeah or, or like they were just so um enticed by getting to work together again which admittedly like if you had like such a good time with your scene partner like all the way through a shoot i could understand wanting to sign up to like kind of do it again but you still you can't tell me that you didn't have any input on the script having made no. the first one as successful as you as y'all all did um you can't tell me that like you couldn't or like that your improvs like weren't you know that you couldn't have like improv something to to be better if it weren't working like there are just so many elements where it's like i don't believe that you didn't have a hand in the creative process and therefore <laughs> you helped make a really really bad film and that's not to say that nobody else like that there I mean, should people, be consequences right there should be i think it should when people are like oh, i just dismissed that one like who cares it's like no like that no. should be coupled with our appreciation of the first one and and we're we're good people and we're and we we both said dumb and dumber is is one of the top ones but I, there should be, someone should should pay the consequences of that movie i will say like i got done watching the movie and i'm not um you know like you know self-absorbed to think that like my opinion is the only one that matters but i got done watching the movie and i was like I need them to apologize to me for yeah. having watched that film. I think the only thing I truly remember from it is that Jennifer Lawrence was supposed to be in the film. Oh, really? Yeah, she was, she was supposed, supposed to be the daughter or whatever. She was supposed to play like a flashback of Freda, Fel Freda Felcher. Oh, okay. There was like supposed to be like that whole like uh, like B plot aspect to it. Um, but then, and she was like gung-ho to do it, but there were like scheduling conflicts. And the fact that the only thing I remember about the film first off is something that didn't actually happen in yeah. the film is pretty a sad. casting what if. Yeah. yeah, but it's just like, yeah, I think it's, um, it's one of those things where it's like, we've kind of like, like similarly, like Adam Sandler's kind of just accepted that like, he makes films to hang out with his friends and you know what, but he, he's upfront up, you know, yeah. hey, I make these films, they're, they're probably not really that great. Not a lot of them are, you know, real hits anymore, but he's just like, yeah, I just want to hang out with my friends and, and write for my friends and do whatever. Whereas this film just kind of felt like, yeah, I like want to hang out with like my friends, but also I think I'm making it, I think we're making a good movie. And the fact that like you would rather besmirch how great the first one is and then kind of put up this, you know, this, I excuse this old, timey you know phrasing but this schlock like it's <laughs> Love just that phrasing isn't it it's 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 this so schlock. this schlock it's so disappointing that's what yeah. it is is that you feel disappointed and you feel kind of betrayed like from your like seven-year-old self like that oh man they really took this and you know took a shit on it yeah absolutely fun with dick and jane is also bad but yeah. number 23 a, fun with dick and jane in this movie i Pretty did a cool. recent rewatch of that and that yeah that doesn't really uh, it's not funny <laughs> no just it just doesn't work uh, all right so let's before we send this off let's get into some shout outs so a lot of movies here that we probably enjoyed in the 90s didn't necessarily stand a test of time or at least have the same affections is there anything that you'd like to start off with uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to really spend any time on this one, but I do have to shout out that his performance in Batman Forever is the only reason I will watch that movie. Um, actually, not great. Yeah, I, I, but I will say that I do, I, I love that he kind of gets to play a little bit of like two people, which I'm sure is like yeah. very fun as an actor. It felt but like Joe Schumacher was just like, go nuts, but then there's nothing like Tommy Lee Jones also goes nuts. And so yeah. it's just everyone going nuts. Yeah, and, and so if, if like Tommy Lee Jones was like dry and yeah. snarky. It would have been great. Then it would have kind of played, but like just two people just going crazy all the time yeah. was like a little wearing. And yeah. also just the look of that movie and, and those like gaudy sets and all the neon and everything. It was, it was just kind of a weird place in time. That it, movie. Very, very weird. And also, um, it's just like nobody was in the same film, which is why no. it doesn't work. Poor Val Kilmer, that yeah. it's bad, it's terrible. Yeah. Um, but I will say that I got—I have to shout out the Grinch. Okay. 
Uh, yeah, I like that one. Tell, tell me more. <laughs> Why did you like The Grinch? So I will tell you that this is a film that has stuck with me even through to, to now. It is a movie that I will watch every year with my family. It is one of the first movies that like I have a very visceral memory of seeing in theaters the day it came out with mm -hmm. my mom because I think it came out Thanksgiving actually yeah that was a huge moment where it was like star meets some sort of branded IP and it was yeah. just like you had like one of the top movie stars also Grinch was huge and so you just had it all singing together yeah with with Ron Howard at the helm and um yeah, but it just doesn't it, it just disappoints in a lot there's no I there's it wanted to be magical so bad that it isn't magical. I, I, there's no other better way for me to say that. I okay. I love I love this discourse because I disagree, and I okay. love that so much. Because again, I think that this is because it's so tethered to my childhood. I will never be able to like separate it, and I think view it through a, a lens that isn't like. I literally, you hold a gun to my head. I can say every line of every <laughs> character in this film. I've done it before and I'll probably do it again because me and my best friend, we both love like this film so much. Um, but I think, but I think it's also because I was nine when it came out and it did feel very magical to me. And I think it's maybe, I, I'm not comparing it to Star Wars and quality. I'm comparing to the feeling that a lot of okay. people saw Star Wars as a child felt, whereas I saw Star Wars later in life. And I was like, yeah, I really like it, but I probably don't find it as like magical as you do. Whereas this is like one of those films where it's like, God, I just, I, I love it so much. There, I still, there are jokes I still rediscover as like funny. It is not by any means his best film. It is not by any means unnecessarily, well, I won't say. It's a great film to me while I also recognize that intellectually it's not a great film but i tell you what if this doesn't crack me up and i will watch this film not at christmas i you will watch coming. this film like yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness i i'll let you have it uh, i <laughs> I, I don't have the same sentiment to it so i i totally understand i, I think i think i don't even know if it's in my christmas rotation but i i also think kids if they watched it today i think they'd find it kind of obnoxious which which is a lot Absolutely. of non-Jim Carrey fans find him very obnoxious that's that's why he's so polarizing right and I yes. think he just leans into Jim, Jim Carrey is uh, he, he went full Jim Carrey on it which that's what they were asking him um, which after having done because I know that like when he auditioned for the Grinch it was while he was shooting Man on the Moon and they talk about how he did this thing where he basically had to method act as the Grinch in order to audition because he couldn't separate himself from being Andy Kaufman. Weird. And yeah, that that's like a whole other thing. So it's just kind of like, oh, that's um that's an odd piece of trivia to to hold going into this film. But method I want to eat glass and live in a dumpster. Anyway. <laughs> so the a couple of other shout outs I had. Uh, yeah. one small shout out, Lemony Snickets. A series of unfortunate events. Oh, yes. I think Count Olaf is a really nice character for him. Allows him to play multiple characters. It, he he fits very well in that the setting of that movie. I think me myself and Irene has some good bits, but also does not age well at all, especially when it comes to mental health and 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 all of that jazz. I think I have to spend just a second on Ace Ventura, just because it is the OG, it's the butt talking, it's yeah. Finkel is Einhorn. I, my favorite bit recently, and, and you discover new funny bits as you, as you watch it uh, throughout your life, but when he's coming home for the first time, he needs to sneak past Mr. Shikadance, his landlord. And so he pulls a Miami tree leaf, like a, yeah. a, a big old leaf from this tree, and he sneaks past Mr. Shikadance. And then he drops the leaf on this giant stack of yeah. tree leaves. So he's like clearly been doing this for months. Right? Yes. <laughs> and then he, it's right before he does the key jiggle, but Mr. Shikadance comes up to him and he goes, Ventura. And he goes, yes, Satan. Oh, Mr. Shikadance, I thought you were someone else. Oh, God. I just love the idea of saying yes, Satan, to someone and being like, oh, I thought you were someone else. I, I, I just really like that bit. <laughs> but yeah, it, it was, it's, 
it's all of the reasons why people either love Jim Carrey or hate Jim Carrey. Like he's basically his whole character is just shouting and saying things in a weird way. And that yeah. is just, that's the character. And so you're either in or you're fucking out. And so parents at the time were like, why the fuck do people like this? And kids like us, we were like, this is it. This is yes. what, this is acting up in class and doing weird stuff. And so I, it's just, it's the OG. It's what broke him into to movies. It works really well with his, with his skills a little much at times, but got to give a shout out to you Ace do. I love that you mentioned Count Olaf because he, I, I really love him in that role. And I know so many people who love the books who were just like, he is a terrible Count Olaf, but I really disagree. And I, again, in terms of like quotable, I find him extremely quotable in that film. I love that it's so small, but it's like when he's in the rocking chair and he's like, do you have a hall pass? <laughs> I didn't think so. It's just so, so small, but I love, yeah, I love that you mentioned that. Also me, myself and Irene, I had not seen that. I did watch that for the first time last year. Yikes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Like I did, there are some really fun, that's why I love, but I love this kind of discourse because I, I think that would have been one that if I had seen it, like as a kid, I think I would have a different opinion, but having watched it for the first time as an adult, it is so hard to like see past the, man, this does not hold up. Yeah. But I will say that that it, it was a movie where I was like, but damn, if I don't want him and Renee Zellweger to work yeah, it out. Yeah. <laughs> and then I also think Bruce Almighty is, is such a middle of the pack movie, but it's also kind of the last hurrah for him. It really is the end of his run as, as a big star. Cause that movie made a lot of money. It's, it's yeah. a top grossing. I love film. that film. And, but it's like, it's like a year or two before Will Ferrell takes over and Jim Carrey is doing fun with Dick and Jane and like it, it, it's, it's done. Right. So it's just like this last little, it's, it's the last of that. I, I think it's middle of the pack in terms of some of the stuff we've yeah. talked about, but it is, it is a fun movie again, tailored totally around his skill set. It feels like it was written for him, but not, not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. That's, that's a great film. I do really like that one. <laughs> so we're to the finish line case for Jim Carrey. How do you feel? I feel great. I also, th this is again why I love um, I, dissecting um, films with you because I love, I love when we agree on things because it's just so much fun for us to like kind of like talk about like all of those juicy moments. But I also really like when we don't like we're not on the same level of yeah, great stakes. Yeah, <laughs> I I just love like being able because I love being able to hear your your thoughts on things and like just being able to see like this that side of it so i love that like you mentioned me myself and irene and i was like that's a no for me and then i loved your face as soon as i mentioned the grinch and you're like oh tell uh, me more about that choice uh, walk me through why you love the grinch <laughs> I, uh, I well this was fun i appreciate it welcome to the five timers club thank you everybody for listening please don't forget to follow us to give us a rating, give us a little review if you want on, on, on any of the, the ways you listen. And, and we appreciate you guys for hanging with us. Don't forget to wash your hands. Don't forget to stay safe. And we will see you down the road. Bye.